My name is Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to Zoom Sunday service here at the river. We're so glad you could join us. I must ask for your understanding today because I had oral surgery two days ago and I'm still having a little bit of trouble with uh, speaking and pronouncing certain words. So please bear with me. Well, we are in a sermon series called Understanding the Bible Through Jesus. It's been great. We are all going through all the major events in the Bible, one by one in chronological order, and we've covered the first 10 chapters of the Bible so far. And today we come to the well-known story of the Tower of Babel. You probably know it, but here it is, Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves so that we won't be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there or over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Very famous story, right? The usual take on this passage is humanity got too strong and too proud. They tried to reach the heavens. It's hubris, like the story of Icarus flying too high, too close to the sun. Such arrogant attempt to challenge the heavens must be checked. Indeed, God seems threatened, challenged. He says, nothing they, do, they propose to do now will be impossible to them. So God punishes them by scattering humanity. So the lesson is, be humble. Don't try to challenge the heavens. Keep your head down. Because pride goes before the fall. Humanity should know its place or disaster will come. That's the usual take. But there are some huge problems with this understanding. First, can humanity really threaten God? This is hard to swallow, especially for people of faith like us. We believe God to be infinite being, so far above us that we couldn't even comprehend a fraction of God with our puny brains. It's as absurd as a single ant threatening King Kong. That's really insulting to God's power. That's not all. Here, God appears quite selfish, right? God 
harms humanity ruthlessly in order to protect God's own place in the heavens. That is really insulting to God's character. Makes God out to be some kind of mafia crime boss. Whack the challenger before the challenger whacks you. So I'm not happy with the usual understanding of this passage. It insults God's power and character. So is there another way to read the story? Yes, there is. First, I want to mention what Allison said at the sermon discussion group last Sunday. By the way, if you haven't tried our sermon discussion groups at 11.45 following our live Zoom service, you're really missing out. So many good points get shared there. So if you haven't done so yet, please give it a try. Anyway, Allison referenced a theologian named Peter Enns, who wrote a very good book called The Bible Tells Me So. He said, God lets the children tell the story. In other words, the Bible is not dictation from heaven. Every serious theologian agrees on this point. The Bible was not written by people who got possessed by the Spirit of God and just wrote down whatever came through. The Quran is dictation from heaven. So you can't even translate Quran and call it Quran because every dot, every word, is perfect, is straight down low from heaven. That's not how we understand the Bible to be. The Bible was written by human beings who tried their best to give their take on what they saw, what they experienced of God, inspired by God, influenced by the Spirit of God, but obviously the writers were still human, uh, limited, by human brains, by human language, human culture, human assumptions. Even Apostle Paul writes in the Bible itself that we see through a glass darkly, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Does that sound like perfect confidence to you? That the Bible writers saw God absolutely clearly and perfectly? No. So what happens when you let the children tell the story? Imagine a five-year-old plays video games all day and the parents take away the game. How would a five-year-old experience that? What would the child say about that experience? Maybe the child thinks, I did something wrong and got punished. Parents are mean. Even if the parents were just trying to protect the child, I'm not sure the child could understand everything clearly. Now the difference or distance between us from God is much bigger than our difference from our children. So when imperfect, limited human beings try to write down God, try to capture on paper the infinite being, there will be some problems. At the very least, it will be an imperfect understanding of all that God was trying to do. And that applies to us reading the Bible too. We are limited by our culture and our assumptions when we read the Bible. 
Now, let me be clear that God shines through the Bible. There is depth and power to the Bible that can only be described as inspired, divine, and revelatory. But we shouldn't try to push every detail in the Bible to its limits. The main points, the main principles, divine inspired passages that reveal God's love and majesty are all great and to be trusted. Points that are repeated consistently, the main points, they are to be trusted, but not every detail should be pushed to its limits, just as we shouldn't trust every detail from a five-year-old. We must acknowledge that how we interpret the Bible has changed dramatically over time on many issues. For example, slavery. It was entirely supported by Christians for 1,800 years as being clearly supported by the Bible. But now, it's considered the greatest evil possible. Human trafficking is the worst label you can put on anything or anyone. That's a huge change in our understanding of what the Bible teaches to go from the Bible clearly supports slavery to it's the greatest evil. That should teach us to be humble when it comes to details of the Bible. But the main principle that God is agape love, we must see everything through that lens with all the conviction we can muster, especially because we can only see God as through a glass darkly. We must use the lens of agape love to keep us safe, to keep us from going off the rails when we read the Bible. So, what if we looked at this passage with the assumption that God is agape love, just as the Bible instructs us? What if God was trying to help and protect humanity out of love for humanity in this passage? If we put on that lens, remarkably different and deep lessons emerge from this passage. Consider that these people at Babel were trying to build a tower so that they won't scatter, right? That's the main motivation they cite, so that we won't be scattered. That's why they built this tower. They wanted everyone everywhere, wherever they are, to be able to look at the tower and see the central guiding place, the central guiding place principle, the one tower speaking one language, all guided by one central place. Now, do you see the danger here? This is what every authoritarian, tyrannical regimes are built on. Everyone looking in the same direction. Manipulated and forced to think the same way, speak the same way. I mean, what kind of world would it be if there was just one tower we all looked at as the central principle, central place, the guiding truth? Actually, we know. We've actually had many such regimes in history. Nazi Germany, Communist Russia, North Korea today, with their dear leader being the One Tower. Humanity has this tendency to move towards authoritarian One Tower way of life because it feels safe strong, 
law and order. The problem with that is it stifles creativity, dissent, diversity, new ways of thinking and being and creating. In other words, all the fun and glory of being human. It's very bleak to live under such regimes. George Orwell wrote a book titled 1984 to describe what such a life might look like. Big Brother government lies to everyone all the time and everyone has to think the same way. War is peace. Ridiculous propaganda. Big lie. But everyone has to believe it. This is the great danger of Tower of Babel. If everyone is looking to one tower as source of safety and truth, it's easy to make anything to be true. Goebbels, the Nazi master communicator, famously said, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. Reality can be distorted and manufactured to alternative facts. This is how Nazi Germany got the whole nation of Germany to turn against the Jewish people to commit Holocaust. They are not the only ones. Communist Russia, North Korea, Chavez and Venezuela all have this in common. Even in the United States today, three weeks ago, a violent mob overran our capital to overturn the election, to stop peaceful transfer of power that's been our way of life since the founding. Incited by Trump, by the big lie that the election was stolen, which was proven again and again to be lies. There were 60 court cases, many of them overseen by Trump-appointed judges. Every case thrown out, except for one case that allowed the election observers to get a bit closer, which is nothing. Attorney General heading up the Department of Justice, Bill Barr, was the most loyal Trump supporter. But even he said there was no fraud and resigned because he couldn't bring himself to destroy American democracy. This election was called the most scrutinized and secure election in our history by Trump government officials in charge of monitoring its security. The voting machine companies like Dominion are suing Fox News, Rudy Giuliani, to the tune of more than a billion dollars in damages because the lies just keep coming. And when they get sued, retractions come. Abject apologies. But those don't stick in people's minds because the lie has been repeated so often beforehand. 75% of Republicans still believe this big lie. Why would you trust Trump, who has lied over 25,000 times while in office and countless times during his lifetime? Trump has completely disavowed and distanced himself from the people who invaded the Capitol after inciting them to march on the Capitol. If the election was really stolen, they are patriots trying to restore American democracy. Why condemn them now? Why distance from them now? But if you're only listening to Fox News and Rush Limbaugh and Newsmax, you're going to get misled. 
Anything can be pushed as the reality when there is one tower, one echo chamber everyone is looking at, like the dear leader or Stalin or Hitler. This is why cult of personality is so dangerous. And if the Democrats did that, and if we only listen to democratic things, then we will be in danger on that side as well. Now read that verse again. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Was God threatened here? Or was it humanity endangered by this one tower? God had mercy on humanity by striking down this tower and giving us various languages and cultures because diversity is our vaccine against the big lie. Every authoritarian cult of personality stand for Tower of Babel. God was saving us from believing and doing whatever we wanted detached from reality. Think about it. If we make reality whatever we propose with big lies, North Korea is hell on earth. Nazi Germany was hell on earth. God was saving us from the whole humanity falling prey to such regimes. In short, God scattered humanity for our own good, not because God was threatened. Humanity being able to do anything we propose, that's not a good news. Consider nuclear bombs. That doesn't threaten God, but threatens us. This good intention of God is made clear in Acts chapter 2 when the Tower of Babel is reversed. When the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, everyone can understand God's message in their own native language. Their differences, their cultures were not erased. God's message was not spoken in one language. Each tribe and nation understands God's message in their own way. Their differences are preserved. Yet there was unity and harmony. Unity in diversity. Isn't that beautiful? We see the truth better when we can see it from multiple points of view. This is such a beautiful picture of what God intends for the kingdom of God. So here are some lessons we can draw from this passage when we assume God is agape love. 1. God is looking out for us even when we think God is punishing us. That's what five-year-olds can think. I am getting punished when the parents are actually giving protection and love. God is always on your side. That doesn't mean only good things will happen to you. But God will walk with us, even through the valley of death. 2. God is not threatened by humanity. Let's not insult God's power and character. 3. There's truth and protection in diversity. Make sure you have friends, especially in faith, who look different than you, who speak with accents, who have different perspectives. Because it's easy to make up our own realities and get trapped in our own echo chamber. So let's respect reality-based differences. Let's celebrate diversity. Let's not try to speak the same way, be the same way, think the same way. We can still achieve unity and harmony while being different from each other in our own cultures. 
Because this is God's gift to us in Tower of Babel. Amen. Now, please join us in our Zoom discussion group at 11.45 or in our weekly Zoom groups. I'd love to hear your thoughts. God bless everyone. Bye. Thank you.